0: Welcome back, folks, to another episode of Grit and Glitter, a weekly podcast dedicated to the power of women's wrestling. My name is Harley.
1: My name is Am.
0: This week on the show, special double header of interviews: two different types of uh, people involved in the world of wrestling, Mm -hmm. but very fun stuff. First, our glitterati member Jackie talks with Gina Monti. Gina is a glitter bomb nominated independent wrestling referee and producer and camera woman, a bunch of different things she does. So Jackie talks to Gina about reffing for, for Beyond Wrestling, working for IWTV, how she got into the referee game, some of the perils of refereeing death matches. Lots of different things there. And then Em and I chat with Joanne Sterer. Joanne is an independent comic book writer. Her new series, The Gimmick, comes out next month from Ahoy Comics. It's about Shane Bryant, a popular wrestler who's hiding the fact that he has super strength. And when his temper gets the best of him during a match, chaos unfolds for him and the people in his life. Issue number one is out March 8th from Ahoy Comics. We talked to Joanne about her series The Gimmick and also about the fact that she ran an all-women's promotion out of Philadelphia in 2002 called kiryoku pro they operated alongside chikara she booked sumi sakai she booked matches like mercedes martinez versus mickey james in 2002 wild we talked yeah. to joanne about that about um the legacy of kiryoku what she's been doing since and her new comic
1: yeah, this is this was a fascinating interview. Um, not simply because of the comic that is coming out and people should absolutely make a point of checking out, but if, if you have looked at the independent wrestling landscape, specifically women's wrestling and independence in the last 10, 15 years and thought to yourself, wow, there's a lot of great stuff going on. And there's you know promotions who are dedicated and making the this an exciting landscape for women's wrestling, you have Joanne partially to thank for that. You really do. So um, yeah I, this was eye-opening for me this was a bit of wrestling history recent history at that that I had no clue about and I uh, was really glad to learn
0: so buckle in two big interviews for you this week here on Gwyn and Glitter
1: I <laughs> the skeletal and my blood is glittery. I am the and my blood
2: is glittery. Hey everyone it is Jackie here with the Grit and Glitter crew and I have got a special interview today. I have the one the only producer, commentator, referee. (laughs) Is there anything she cannot do?
3: Referee Gino with me, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, Commentary is somewhat new to me because it kind of just like popped in for a bit at ICW, (laughs) but it was still fun. So thanks for uh, remembering that. I probably would have forgotten.
2: Yeah, I came across my feed I was like, wait, since when does Gina do commentary? So I wanted to make sure I put that out there. It just, like, came to you? Like, what's the story behind starting Oh, Oh, a- uh,
3: I just, I there was segment with ICW, because it's uh, very deathmatchy. Uh, what people don't see in the playback is that there's a lot of time set in between matches. Uh, so Struggles, who does the main commentary for that, um, likes to have other people on. So we were talking about the match that was following i haven't called a match before i would like to try sometime though i don't know how well i would do i would really have to be partnered with someone very experienced but yeah uh, that was a fun little uh intro into it sounds so like we could
2: do some more there then too oh
3: maybe maybe we'll <laughs> see we'll so
2: the thing that i'm always curious about is like what brought you to wrestling in just general and then like to refing in particular because they're like the unsung heroes of a match.
3: Thank you. I think that's a very nice sentiment. (laughs) Costuming is cool. I was like, oh, cool. Look at these trunks. Wish I had trunks like that. Yeah. Uh, But in, well, I mean, yeah, that is part of the reason why. But uh, I, I felt like the storytelling of it was really cool. The first time I've actually sat down and watched an episode of wrestling was when Chris Jericho came back. For the first time, and he was having his program with Randy Orton, so it was interesting. I was like, "Oh, I didn't know that they actually did promos and stories." And I think that the storytelling part was really what grabbed me into it. What What about you? What do, you do you like certain aspects that sink you in?
2: I mean, storytelling. That's symphatico with you on that one. It's always the it's always yes. the drama and the emotion and the characters. Combined with the action that gets me, you know, the action certainly heightens and it, it's important. But you know, you can have all the all the great chain wrestling in the world. But there's no sort of story or emotion driving it. You'll probably lose my attention pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel yeah, the story. Yeah, okay, so
3: what what Jackie, Jackie said, <laughs> <laughs> I think that was very well put, and I, I do agree with that. So I I would say the storytelling. But then how
2: did you get into refing specifically? Like, what brought you into being just not a fan, but being involved in in wrestling?
3: I went to school at Tessa Strength, which is in East Hartford, Connecticut. And I was uh, going to a lot of indie shows at the time. Popped in there. Uh, the tr- main trainer recognized me from a shoes- few shows before. Excuse me. He said, hey, do you want to come in and try out a free class? And I said, sure, I'll try out a free class. And I'm like, wrestling is awful. Why? No like it hurts (laughs) running the ropes those are cables not ropes like you get you know i mean i don't mind doing it so much but i then said to him i was just like ah you know what Um, i'm not really sure if this is for me but i thought about other roles that you can do in wrestling like what you do running this uh podcast your your whole network here um there's a lot of different things that you can do I was thinking that managing was probably going to be the best for me, but the person I was paired up with uh, got hurt. So I was roughing practice matches and just ended up being a very serendipitous thing and it worked out. So uh, luckily, I I stuck with that role pretty much the whole way through. A lot of people usually start with one thing and do another, which is still fine. uh, But I was at least happy to uh, continue with the craft for about like five years now.
2: So, like a happy accident that's just
3: blossomed into something. Yep, it was a real Bob Ross moment. I was (laughs) a tree that you put at the end of the painting.
2: (laughs) Lovely. Well, let's talk about being that tree at the end of the painting. Right? So, like, I think reffing is such an interesting role because there's this, it's like an invisible presence. Like, you have to be both seen and unseen at the same time and, like, flow between the two. So, How did you, you know, learn to, first, like, how do you achieve this kind of balance? And how did you learn to do that, like, dance, you know? Oh,
3: wow. Well, Jackie, that's very astute. I feel like you're going to make a lot of very astute statements that I might not very eloquently explain.
2: You don't have to be eloquently, that to me.
3: I think when you get to the balance, and if anyone is listening to this who wants to try Don't be too hard on yourself within the first couple of years because you're going to do things that, even if it's not really a mistake, if you're moving too much, et cetera. I had happy feet syndrome for a very long time. I still have it now, and staying still could be very tough depending on what's happening. Uh, So it's a lot of just, I guess, accountability, having coaches, teachers, uh, what have you, to help you out with that, watching your stuff back and saying – all right, well, I'm just going to learn a few tricks to like just stay put. So I'm not really sure if like there's anything like uh, very specific I could say. It's, it's really just those general things that I think just goes along with doing interviews. I'm sure it's the same thing. You listen and watch your stuff back and you say, oh, you know, maybe I could do better doing this or this and you find other tactics to, to work. But I would say having that network of people of mentors would definitely help your growth. And that's basically what I attribute my success to. I really owe those people a lot. Who are some of those mentors? Uh, So, uh, so Silkweiner Brown is my trainer. Uh, Bobby Ocean is also um, a local wrestler here who's wrestled for a very long time, uh, who uh, also trained me. Anthony Green, uh, over the years, when before he got signed, uh, because we're from the same area, we're working a lot of shows together. And he started off as a referee for a while. I think he did it for a few years before he wrestled and then he got signed. Um, Even until now, I still ask him questions. Uh, It could even just be not always doing practice matches, but you could ask questions saying, well, I noticed this or this, and you you pass it by with people and you see what they say. Uh, And I would also have to say that Paul Ronima and Mario Mancini at PAPW, uh, that's where Richard Holiday trained, uh, Miracle Generation came from too. Very neighborly school nearby. Uh, They were also very instrumental in that too. Yeah, I would probably say those those five people. They had a
2: really great <laughs> network. It seems like just like multiple people that you could really turn to as you needed the support.
3: Yeah, I, I'd say so. And it, it's funny because there's times where, it, especially people who are on like the creative side of things, it's like, oh god, like I'm carrying this all by myself. But you, you do have to have those moments where you have to step back and think, there are people who actually talk to me. Even outside of those five people, there's those uh, veterans and people with many years of experience on shows you could ask. And I think a lot of it has to do with people giving you good advice, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of bad advice out there. Learning to filter is a big part of it. Oh, I'm so very thankful.
2: Much. Though. Yeah, yeah, learning that's... to filter advice, like life skill, people. Oh. Like, <laughs> you have to learn, like, you need some feedback. You need some advice. You're not just going to be able to grow in a vacuum. But also there is bad advice out there and you have to learn how to like navigate that. So for sure, little tidbit. So you mentioned the creative side of things. I actually wanted to ask you about how did you get involved with IWTV and working some of the more creative and production aspects of wrestling instead of just the in-ring stuff?
3: That's always a hard question to ask because I felt like over time, um, and you might be able to relate to this, whether it's, in wrestling stuff or outside of wrestling. So sometimes you just hang around the same people for a while. They eventually trust you to do projects and they start getting, that's how I got this podcast. More. <laughs> yeah. I, well, there you go. Uh, that, that's basically the gist of it. I think where it started to really turn up to a point where I was noticing it was when I did a uh, wrestling yoga studio for IWTV. Uh, there was one other producer on that show who was working with me at the time. And I, I think after the IWTV office saw that I was able to carry that pretty much by writing everything, being on screen, instructing and also engaging with the host yes. and having the host also take time to the time management, those are very important things to um, knock out on like a six episode show. So we did that, um, I moved from, I was in Florida for a hot minute and I moved up to Chattanooga for the summer to do Uncharted Territory this past year. So that that was another opportunity. Like I'd sat in those meetings, but didn't really contribute much, except if they had a referee type of question. And I think over time they just said, Hey, do you want to work on the tag tournament stuff? And I feel like, and Jackie, let me know if this happened to you as well. Sometimes there's certain people who prefer if you make your own projects and then give it to them and present them. So for me, it was writing the tag team rules. I said, here's my uh, pitch for the tag team rules. So they didn't have to ask me to do that. I just wanted to do it and see what their opinion was. Yeah. And then from there, it was a discussion into producing the tournament and eventually running the IWTV Class of 2022 show. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure in the podcasting world, you probably have similar experiences like that. Well,
2: it goes to those networks that you talk about, right? You find people that you trust that you can collaborate with that draw you in. And, you know, I first appeared on this podcast as a guest, and then I was invited back on again. And then eventually, you know, Harley and M extended the invitation like, hey, you want to join the Glitterati? And I was like.
3: Yes. Glitterati. Dib jackets.
2: Fun. I w- oh, my God. Oh, I be great. We had, like, uh, FGR style like, <laughs> yeah. like baseball jackets. Like, yeah, yeah, those, like, varsity
3: things with the glitter on it. That's cool. I like that, glitterati. Oh
2: okay, so, Harley, I know you're listening to this to edit. <laughs> but just for <laughs> right. Actually, protecting us in general, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, anyway, That's so, what was it? So, like, what was probably... You, I'm assuming you learned a lot being a fly on the wall in those uncharted territory meetings, just in terms of what it takes to plan a mid to large level indie event. What were some of the like most surprising or useful takeaways from that time?
3: You yes, asked really good questions. Jeez. Ah, um, I would say one of them is... Being aware that you can't be attached to your projects because anything could change. Um, again, yeah. creative person talking to another creative person, things okay. can change. And I'm still getting used to that because uh, during the tournament, unfortunately, there was a situation that happened where someone got hurt and um, it was just like, oh, we have to like plan around this. A lot uh-huh. of people actually got hurt. And, yeah. um, you know, it, with, a, with a weekly show like Uncharted Territory, even though it was only a 13 episode run, there are people who don't show up. There was uh, actually one wrestler who didn't know that they were (laughs) or didn't remember that they were booked. So you have to work (laughs) on the fly like that. But fortunately, that group of wrestlers were very, very excited to do the project because that was probably the first time in a long time that something on an independent level like that was brought to that area. So um, I think you have to rely on your team. Uh, You have to get to know your team. I probably like one other thing that I would mention is and this is actually something that I learned from the Triple H um, interview shortly after he was um, in the creative uh, position is that a lot of the times when you do make those decisions, even if they're bad decisions, you have to stand by them. So I think for me, especially now, seeing like other people book shows, other people produce how I was able to do some stuff. Sticking to those projects and seeing it to the end is pretty important because if you do drop it abruptly and don't give it time to go through the ebbs and flows, sometimes everything is not going to be a perfect plateau or even going up the whole time, then you don't really give yourself time to fail. And failing is very important because you will ultimately succeed. That's some good lessons right there. It's like all like great leadership
2: lessons, too, like on how to build and maintain a team. And, and yeah, get leadership lessons. And
3: trust. That's a great yep. way to put it. Leadership lessons, yeah. That's nice. I'm listening to what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's
2: good. So, thinking about both aspects of um, the creative life of wrestling—the around the production stuff—and then the in-ring, this is the show element. What do you mm-hmm. think is the most difficult part of preparing for each? Preparing for like the, the production element uh, of like the behind the scenes stuff and then actually like being in the ring and putting on that performance.
3: I think it it kind of goes back to what we were saying before about how things sometimes don't go over the plan. And there was someone who got hurt during uh one of the tournament shows. Um, so there was that, and then it was kind of going between, okay, I gotta focus on these matches. Luckily, at least Just for me, it was the last match for me of the show, and I had to deal with that and then also everything else that was going on. But because the nice thing of having a team of people doing a show and not being a solo project, you can lean on those people saying, I got to take care of this. Do you mind worrying about this? So that was like the nice thing of having the IWTV office uh, available for that show. And everything just kind of worked uh, pretty well together. Is at least the best that we can. Uh, when you're doing in-ring stuff, I feel like most of the time it's just it's really good hand in hand because now I'm also doing more camera stuff. Like I'm at Wrestling Open most weeks doing like hard cam, uh, running a tablet or like a roaming cam. And the tablet is like stuff that we're putting out on the YouTube for short stories on the Beyond page. Uh, so you kind of like get more of an aspect of like camera stuff. And sometimes in the rain that could be difficult because it's like, I wish this person would just do this thing towards this camera. So um, it could be those frustrating moments, but it's better to know how important those camera works are and also balancing that with people who are actually there because uh sometimes especially if you're working at wrestling open for example how it is is that the hard cam is up on the stage where there's really not a lot of people sitting there versus everybody else which is uh, surrounding them so you have to also find the balance of okay i need to do stuff to the people streaming at home but what about also the people who are here so i would say that's probably one challenge uh, to consider
2: Yeah, good advice, too. Like, if you have intentions on wanting to work for a televised promotion, learn where the camera is. Because you're going to have to work to the camera on those shows. So, like, start now. (laughs) Start at the independent level, people. Like, get it into your system. Love that. Yeah.
3: And camera work is always something that I feel is, like, always the forgotten job And when I started doing it, it was mostly because uh, someone from IWTV asked me if I can do it and they thought that I wasn't interested. But I thought, well, you know what? I get paid for my time and I'm just going to learn something different. And I ended up actually liking it. But it it is very good to at least try it for a show. It sucks doing roaming cam because sometimes you don't have breaks and you're just like this the whole time. Mm -hmm. Your neck starts hurting because you're probably looking up if if the ring is like elevated. But I felt like just doing that for two hours taught me probably like two months worth of lessons. Absolutely. It's very important too. I come from a theater else. background when I was younger, and I'm a okay.
2: believer of like the, you've got to learn every role. Like you don't have to do it all the time. You don't even have to be good at it, but at least try it. So you have a little bit of an understanding of what it is and how to talk to other people. Because like, that's a big part of any kind of performance work is communicating. Yes. So like... Mm-hmm. You don't have to be good at other people's jobs, but you have to at least know how to communicate with them so that they can do their jobs well, and vice versa. So, like. Yeah, a couple a couple hours behind the camera, and all of a sudden you have a new new way to talk to people in a mm-hmm. week, in, in something that matters in, in a produced show. So yeah, yeah,
3: it definitely is a good perspective. The next uh, goal that I have for production is learning how to do live switch for broadcasting. Uh, John Roy, who runs those at Wrestling Open, and of course right. you know Jerry from IWTV runs those too. Uh, and I talked to them. They said, yeah, sure, you could shadow and learn some time. Unfortunately, I was always needed for something else, (laughs) but it's good. It's good to be, it's a good feeling to know that you're needed, even if the roles might be a little bit different, but you know, for some people, they might just want to focus on the one thing that's great, especially if you're starting out, but especially if you're going to do something like refereeing, Anthony Green told me this a few weeks ago, your value always goes up as an asset once you start to learn those other skills. So I guess that's all I have to say about that.
2: I was going to close. It took a detour.
3: No, no, it's actually
2: great because I was going to close with this question, but might as well like pivot here and then I'll walk back to my one other little um, personal question. Um, (laughs) uh, It's like my little personal itch I got to scratch, but we'll get there. Uh, So you already know, what are some of your other goals, like either personal goals or professional goals for this next year? Like what's next for Referee Gina?
3: I think the live switch would definitely be good just because I would like to know a little bit more about how that works. I'll, especially if I'm on camera and if I'm behind the person who's doing live switch, you can like look over yeah. and see. Uh, I would like to do another hour long match again. It's been like a while. I think the match at Uncharted Territory last year was supposed to go longer. It was cut short a little bit, but that's okay. It was still one match. Uh, so I like doing those like iron events, etc., cetera. Nice. I And yeah, I think like the next thing is just figuring out um, what show is going to come next that I could produce and work on. I know in the Southeast, I've been working with one particular booker there who's interested in at least talking through the creative process and possibly having me book stuff. But learning the whole procedure of how to book a show well uh, takes a lot of time. And I still think yeah. it's one of those things that you always improve on. It's going to change depending on what kind of roster you're having, what kind of story who your crowd is sometimes a crowd is very different especially if you move locations but i would say that those are the ones i'll focus on for this year i we know else will come up
2: true yeah gotta leave some space for the unexpected here yes
3: i i thoroughly believe that all the time you can't champion every single cause because it's just going to burn you out if you leave some room for those true. again leaving the unexpected to show up then you'll be able to tackle them so uh, learning that is also a good skill too. This is just a topic about skills. Yeah, we're <laughs> just really we're just
2: giving life advice. This is just life yeah. advice. With Gina and <laughs> Jackie, welcome. We <laughs> oh,
3: yeah, have like a song and everything.
2: <laughs> oh, trust me, I'll, Where's my guitar? I'll write it. Now. Yeah,
3: there's the coffee uh, this in the some middle. Room.
2: So I do have one last question that I am personally curious about. So sure. anybody who listens to the podcast knows that I love me. Some ultra-violent wrestling. I love me some (laughs) blood in my theater here. So, as a referee, blood management. What's Mm. going on your mind when all of a sudden you're in that ring and you see red? You see that color. What's going through your mind when it's unexpected? And then also, are there times when you know it's going to happen that you might prepare differently?
3: Yeah, uh, so I started doing death matches last year. And... That very different environment. Absolutely. I'm still learning it because I've only really done a handful of ICW shows. And I would say the majority of them at this point were those that didn't involve glass. So you're not going to be bleeding as much as you would on the no Holds Barred. Like those pit fighters don't use glass, but they still use stuff that makes you bleed. Right. I think in those situations, Matt Tremont, for example, was bleeding a lot from his forehead uh, when he had a match with Hoodfoot. And some people just bleed more than others. And a lot of the times you just have to check in with them. But you're checking in anyways, saying, hey, like, are you okay? Are you okay? You're good. You're ready to go. Um, And there are times where I just say, I don't know, that kind of seems like a lot. I think we got to cut this short. If it's in a match that is just like a regular, you know, match that I'm like not expecting it. We always have gloves on us, so we could always put them on. Sometimes it's not too bad. Sometimes it's just like, you know, okay. But I never really had a match that was outside of death matches where there was so much blood that I was just like, ugh, you know, um, really worried about it. It was probably more like someone broke their ankle or something like that. But there's a lot of bleeding for the most part, especially if it's head injuries. And a lot of people know that you usually typically like bleed a lot from your head. People usually go on and they're okay. It'll stop at some point. But if it's like a really bad one, uh, well, actually, we could go back to... Dustin Waller, I feel so bad because I haven't spoken to how great of an athlete he is, but we keep talking about his injury. He was bleeding a lot. It was towards the end of the match when he gave someone a cutter and um, Eli Knight like kind of came down. It was like a head-to-head collision. He was bleeding above the forehead. So in that moment, I was pretty shocked because I didn't actually think he was bleeding that much until he turned to me. And I gave him something to just like compress his head, and we just got him out of there. Yeah. Uh, then eventually he got stitches. So um, I guess like another important thing is to know who's in the back, who's able to provide those types of services so you can immediately get them over there. There was one actual another show that something very similar like that happened towards the end of a match when um, he was really bleeding out of his forehead, but there wasn't anybody around. So he had to go to the hospital. Uh, luckily, it wasn't anything like super bad, like horror stories so far. But wrestling, <laughs> you never know. Good question. So it is nice that
2: you do have some legitimate leeway to be, hey, I think the blood at this point is, it's scary at this point, let's do something about it.
3: Yeah, well, the death matches in particular, and this was something someone told me a while ago when I was sort of interested in them, but not really sure if I wanted to do them yet. Uh, he told me that a lot of the times when you're working with people who are death match wrestlers, especially they've been doing it a long time, they know what their limits are. And they really have to work with referees who they can trust in those situations for very obvious reasons. So if you're someone who's very new, I would not really go ahead and do matches where there's a lot of tubes, et cetera. Kind of like break your way in. Because another thing, too, is you have to establish trust with your team. And if you've seen enough things to know, like when something's really bad, when you have to stop the match, because you'd always just stop the match. You have that discretion to do it. Um, And you just say like, hey, that looks pretty bad. We're going to stop this. They'll understand and trust you as well, but have that discretion anyway. So I would kind of like ease into it if people are interested in doing those types of matches in the future.
2: And then you also just have all the obstacles that you're dealing with too, in addition to- Oh
3: my God. Just
2: the regular refing like you've also gotta be aware of what's
3: in that ring. Yes, you, don't get- you have to stomp tubes, like any of those glass shards, you have to stomp them, throw mm-hmm. out the ends. Um, camera stuff, don't even worry about it because there's just so many things in the way I mean, it sucks, but that's what the production team is for. And they're trained to deal with those types of things, too. So that's another tidbit, I guess.
2: <laughs> You're really just taking care of the wrestlers and not so much who's around.
3: the. Yeah, wrestlers. and yourself, too, because there's just crap all over the place. Like, what are you going to do? Sometimes you can't get that perfect positioning. If it's a large ring, sure, but they put stuff up in the corners, There's just stuff on the apron. It's too much to worry about, so just worry about yourself and everybody else in the ring. Don't worry about the cameras at that point.
2: There we go. Well, Gina, thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation. Where are you on social media? How can people get in contact with you? And what do you have coming up?
3: Uh, what do I have coming up? Uh, so I'm actually taking a little break for a bit. I know I'm going to be doing a local show that's in Bristol, Connecticut with a 6 sider ring called Tetsu Pro. It's pretty new. And typically okay. that company also does cosplay wrestling. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's really cool. I, I like it a lot. You do, like, really fun stuff. Um, I know Expect the Unexpected is going to be at the end of the month. I think it's the 26th, so I'll be refereeing on that one. Um, There's definitely some other shows, but I actually didn't bring my calendar, which I usually bring all the time. I'm sorry, Jackie.
2: It's okay. You can just uh, send those details along. We can put yeah. them up in the episode
3: description. It's well, technology. you know what? Even better, just follow me on Twitter, you'll, you'll figure it out. I'm posting every day, they're mostly really dumb things and memes. And I how, probably shouldn't say that.
2: How can people follow you on Twitter?
3: <laughs> um, I'm at hard copy foo so h a r d c o p y f u. That's a funny part at the end, I like spelling it. So I'm there. I'm also on Instagram, probably not on Instagram too much, but. Uh, Twitter, you'll see me like reposting a lot of like IWTV stuff too. So if you want to follow someone who's obnoxiously retweeting things, that's me as well. <laughs> really sold go. sold my account at the end.
2: <laughs> hey, sometimes we all love an obnoxious retweeter. A reader. get the news okay. out there. Let me know what's happening. Like.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Give it to
2: me. <laughs> yeah,
3: another Sorry. goal of mine in 2023 <laughs> is to yeah. learn how to speak better. <laughs> Saw myself
2: better Just gotta all right okay, okay okay I'll let you no it's the practice right do more podcasts listen watch yeah. the tape listen back
3: it's true yeah
2: cringe <laughs> gina, at the-
3: things that are cringy
2: i'm all the cringe so it's all good
3: all right in good company
2: in good ah bad. absolute good company gina thank you so much take care and we'll talk to you hopefully sometime soon
3: oh, awesome thank you very much jackie and everybody for listening
1: run me through the pronunciation it's kuryoku 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 but that might be wrong
4: too because you know uh (laughs) this was 20 20 years ago when in (laughs) wrestling we thought that to make people watch wrestling you had to make it sound japanese (laughs) which is why we did this weird appropriation thing which i apologize for now but it was a sister promotion to chikara wrestling and so i wanted to make it sound in line with that so it was kiryoku pro yeah maybe not one of my best decisions
0: does it mean well, something
4: yeah well, what did it mean we thought it meant strength um but that also may be wrong <laughs> <laughs> Like <laughs> it was the early days of the internet uh and trying to figure out japanese translations um because means power, right? And mm-hmm. so we were trying to find something that was sort of like that. So from my understanding, kiryoku meant like strength of will. And so I wanted something similar, something that would, you know, sort of get across the idea that this wasn't a sexy time women's wrestling promotion, but an actual serious women's promotion like the Japanese wrestling was at that time. And so the branding was let's make it seem like japanese women's wrestling in america probably not how i would go about it today <laughs> but yeah
0: well yeah we'll ask you some more about kiryoku later for sure yes. but the main reason you're here today because that was 20 years ago let's talk about 2023 <laughs>
4: yeah. yes you i have guess a new i'm mini
0: series coming out called the yeah. gimmick from ahoy comics five issues
4: uh, six actually.
0: Ah, six issues. Issue number one is going to be out in about a month, March eighth, from Ahoy. This is your third comic book series, and obviously you have this history in wrestling with running your own promotion and working as a valet back in the day. So all of that fuels the gimmick. All of that has obviously been ideas that helped you come up with this comic. But why now? What Was there something specific or someone specific recently that inspired you to write this story today in 2023?
4: I can't say it was one specific thing that was the catalyst for this. I would say it's more of a series of events. A lot of it is, if you sort of look at my trajectory of my career in general, why did I start writing now? Because I was... You know, I was in wrestling and I was working in editorial, both in books and comics. And I was happy to just sort of be on the sidelines and not telling my own stories, even though that was something that was always in the back of my mind. But both in wrestling and in comics, times changed. And it seemed like in the last few years, now it was finally a safer space and a more open space for women and more marginalized peoples to finally have a, a career and have a voice. With both that happening and, you know, let's be honest, just Trump being out in the world, I felt like, okay, I can't just sit here. I have things to say. I want to say them. So both with that, making me feel like now is the time to finally stop editing, start writing, and then people constantly telling me, oh, the wrestling stuff is really interesting. Really should write about that. That sort of prompted the gimmick. And it wasn't, I really didn't want to write about wrestling. I felt like wrestling comics kind of, It. I never want to read wrestling comics because if you want to see wrestling, you watch it on TV, right? The action of wrestling is generally better on TV, in, in person, Uh, Trying to capture that in a still form like comics can be difficult. And what you really want, if you're going to bring it to comics, is to see behind the scenes stuff. So I thought, well, if I'm going to do a comic about wrestling, then that's what we have to look at. I'm not going to try and capture the in-ring action. I'm going to look at what was really crazy when I was in the business, the stuff the big personalities, the damaged people, the things that you don't get to see on TV. And that's really the the confluence of things that came together to make this all happen. Plus Ahoy saying, yes, we will publish this, which I did not think was going to happen. <laughs> so... I'm really interested
1: in how comics change in the translation between the original concept and the writing and and its artistic representation, like what it ends up looking like. So what was your process with your artist, Elena Gogo, like?
4: It was really interesting because we had seen Elena's art. Um, I had wanted to work with Elena on previous projects that didn't work out, but I knew that they had this very strong style, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> of, you know, these muscular women, and just like good action. And I knew Elena would be a good fit for this. But I had written the scripts. i would written the first four issues a couple years ago before I ever knew Elena was involved. So when Elena came on, there was a lot of catching up that had to be done because elena is not particularly or was not a wrestling fan i don't know where they stand now (laughs) but i had to provide a lot of reference and then seeing how someone then portrays this world having not watched wrestling all their lives was really interesting to bring out sort of the character elements and the comedy and the action with Out having the the frame of reference of WWE is really I think gets to the heart of what I was trying to bring forth because there's not this sort of cloud over it right Mm -hmm. it's Elena could look at the script and just say these are people not I have to do these big showy things that I see on tv Um, And I think that actually made it a better book in the end. But yeah, ultimately the way that the process goes, if you're like just looking to get to the bare bones of it is I write a script much like a film script (laughs) (laughs) and uh, it goes panel by panel and I write sort of a description and the dialogue and give, you know, sort of an emotion and an action and I let Elena fill in the rest of it. I don't I don't say, you know, this is exactly what things have to be, but you try and give some freedom to the artist to bring their own personality into it and then you sort of collaborate on that end. Yeah, comics with, <laughs> to,
1: with Elena not being I, I don't know how familiar, but not being an avid wrestling fan, were there references that you gave to kind of check out, to kind of, you know, give visual cues as to what you were looking for, what character design looked like, et cetera?
4: What I did, one of the things I gave Elena was, I gave the wrestler the movie with Mickey Rourke. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. I was going to say that,
0: that came to mind immediately after by the first issue.
4: Yeah, to me I was like, how do I show somebody what indie wrestling is like without mm-hmm. making them watch a ton of it? Like I <laughs> want to show the sadness that can be there, but also the pageantry, right? So to me that was a por- an important one. And then you know, some clips of some, you know, big finishing moves that I thought could be broken down. And then also I found like a lot of instructional posters of how to like do moves because you really have to break down things so that they can be drawn by an artist like panel to panel. And so it's one thing to introduce somebody to the world of wrestling, but it's another thing to show that, to give them reference that's actually useful for drawing these things. So to actually understand the mechanics of the different wrestling moves, I thought was important, but yeah, I really I thought the wrestler was really the best if I was like I can't make this person watch hours and hours of WWE or AEW or anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. I should probably check in and see if they've they've caught the wrestling bug. I, I haven't asked. <laughs> You know, it's
1: it's pretty easy to catch if you're like watching the right thing. So who knows? <laughs>
4: They're like but that Elena... Mountain do
0: pitch black match with Gray White was amazing.
4: <laughs> Elena is based in Greece, so I don't know. Also, to that extent, what the availability is. Oh, that's um, a good
0: point. Yeah, yeah. Greece so... is the birthplace of wrestling, right? <laughs>
4: it's a it's a different style of wrestling. But it is different a different style of wrestling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well wrestling is so niche still like to you ask the average person on the street you know what a dropkick is was there fear that you needed to maybe over explain too many of the concepts for non-wrestling readers that you would need to explain what a luchador is what parts unknown is and that it become too much of an exposition dump you'd be too bogged down by that
4: i definitely Had that concern in the beginning. And then I just decided, fuck it. Right. (laughs) Like, I've seen so many stories that are told in the world of a specific industry, but it's not really about that. Right. And the gimmick, even, it's a wrestling comic, but it's not about wrestling. It's about the people. So you can read this and know nothing about wrestling. And still enjoy it. And if you love wrestling. You're going to enjoy it more. For all the little references you get. I don't think you need to understand. Anything about Lucha. Or anything about American wrestling. You're going to get. Drawn in by the characters. And the crazy. Exploits. And that's all you need. If I wanted to do. A real set. You know in wrestling story that it would be a, a different thing but I wanted to tell a bigger a bigger tale than that and it's it's really it's a book about this broken man in this broken industry who just breaks all of his relationships and that doesn't require a knowledge of wrestling that's something that I think everybody can relate to is knowing somebody who's just kind of messed up so <laughs> Yeah,
1: there are parts even in that first issue that I found like kind of viscerally relatable in a way that like specifically like I have a small child and the like moment in the car, the panels with his ex and the and her kid, his kid in the car when he's like ripping out of his seat, his car seat. Like those moments, they're just like they they go beyond. You know, the basic plot line of the story, they go beyond like the speculative nature of it. It it's this like very visible, tangible, relatable thing that makes it so compelling beyond just simply, you know, the plot points and the story it's telling. There's emotional resonance there that I was not expecting in issue number one that immediately like got me, got me hooked in.
4: Well, I appreciate that because that was, you know, that character that was really important for me. There are not a lot of single mothers in comics you know in comic book stories and i wanted to sort of explore this issue of wrestling is a it is a man's world still even though we've made great strides for women but if you want to have a baby that's that's it you may be able to resume your career but it's you certainly have to take a good chunk off and people might forget <laughs> you it's very difficult for women so, having this character that has this, you know, she goes through this unexpected pregnancy and has this child and what it does to her career and her life, I thought that that was really a perspective that doesn't get a lot of time and acknowledgement. So I'm glad, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: for people who are clued into wrestling who do read this, I think that's something that might be a little be of a special interest to them is, That your story begins with in ring violence causing the death of a famous wrestler. And even though it's, you know, it's of the speculative nature given your main character's like enormous power, it seemed like this could be kind of a jarring reminder of real life incidents. So I was kind of curious, what was your mindset in towing this line with sensitivity?
4: Well, for me, what the story ultimately is is that we have this guy who gets away with murder. And that's not a spoiler. It's, it's, it's a story about a guy who... He kills someone in the ring and then just gets to put on a lucha mask and continue living his life, right? He goes on and keeps wrestling under this mask and everyone else has to keep picking up the pieces of the mess that he made. And he just skates. And that's something that we see a lot in all sports, right? Um, because we elevate these men, these athletes, and especially white men to this high level where they do get away with murder. And that sounds like hyperbole, but it's not. We've seen it many, many times. It is a big violent moment in the book, but that's, you know, <laughs> part of that is just, we need to get your attention so you keep reading. And get to the the real heart of the story which is the the bigger message but also part of it is we give him these this super strength as sort of a secondary moment of if you give somebody like that super powers what does he choose to do with them Hmm. and at every at every turn at every point you see that this man has choices he can make right and we already know He's had these these powers this whole time, and all he's done with them is keep them secret and use them to <laughs> become famous. So it's sort of a, it's a commentary so <laughs> slightly uh, on the state of affairs and how I feel about some things. but yeah, I mean certainly there is a violence warning on there,
0: yeah, on the topic of white men getting away with things okay.
2: <laughs> he, he,
0: you ran your all women promotion, Curio Group Pro, for three shows in 2002 before outside circumstances uh, prevented you from continuing.
4: Mike quack and bush.
0: Sure, <laughs> is that what
4: we're getting to?
0: <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know how uh, how open you wanted to be about names or about.
4: <laughs> it's all going to come out in the next few, like the next few months of doing press. So you know that's all we'll say. Mm-hmm.
0: After Kiryoku, after the third Kiryoku show, did you walk, you walked away from Shakara. Did you walk away from wrestling entirely?
4: I wasn't as actively involved. I was definitely still, I had a lot of friends in the business and I was in a relationship with another wrestler for a very long time after that. So I was still going to shows all the time and, you know, spending time with wrestling friends. But I sort of decided this is not for me. I loved the business, but I could see that after having all my hard work kind of ripped away from me and seeing that there wasn't a place yet for women's wrestling, I mean I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I was I had become a little disheartened and I I stepped away. Uh, also like I have to say, after Kyyooku, Dave Prazak, really picked up the ball and ran with it and created shimmer women's wrestling. And he did an excellent job with that. So I didn't feel that like my journey had ended and somebody else had picked it up. Um, So I was okay. Just watching.
0: I only recently uh, found your comic explaining the history of Kirioku and kind of what happened there. And when you said that the sort of origin idea for it was, why can't American women's wrestling be treated with the dignity and respect that the Joshis get in Japan? I was like, what the? That's the exact same thing. That was Shimmer's origin story. Yes. That was the exact same mission statement, but Shimmer was three years later.
4: Yes. Basically, through the whole process of starting Kiryuku Pro, I had been friends with Dave Frazak, and we talked a lot about what I was trying to do, and he would send me. Videos of girls because we used to actually have to use VHS tapes back then, and he would send me tapes of girls that he liked a lot. Um, and we would we would really share ideas, you know, because I was on the East Coast and he was in the Midwest. So, without the internet being as strong as it uh, back then as it is now, having somebody in another region share ideas like that was really very helpful. So, when kiriyoku ended he was like you know i think what you're doing was great i kind of want to keep going (laughs) and (laughs) and he just he ran with it and i'm really glad someone did because it took a long time a long time before there was any spark of real women's wrestling in the wwe and i wish i could say that i felt that it's where it it should be. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's, I think AEW is, is in a g- good place, you know, but still, it's, it would be nice to see just women's wrestling incorporated into regular wrestling without having it be called women's wrestling, right? Just, mm-hmm. let's just have wrestling. But anyway, I'm going on a tangent. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of curious, actually, how you felt about the state of things with women's wrestling in the mainstream, just because... I mean, we have our quibbles on this show. With we don't we don't do a whole lot of WWE coverage for a reason, but you know we certainly always have quibbles there. But when we have checked in in recent time with WWE and what they've been doing with their women wrestlers, we've been fairly pleased to see that, like, no matter what the quality of the storyline or what they're doing with care with the characters and and whatever matches or feuds, like, there does seem to be um, based. a little bit on, on depending on which brand you watch, Um, there does seem to be priority given to at least some of the women's roster. AEW is making strides. It's definitely not where it should be or where we were promised, but there are storytelling developments that have been pretty encouraging in the last like two months, which have, you know, stayed some of us naysayers who are still mad that two hours, two, three hours a week doesn't yield more than one to two women's matches. Um, but the big player in all of this in in women's wrestling is is impact wrestling who you know some, there are some weeks where there's perfect parity of booking in their episodes between like the the rosters and they also incorporate their women wrestlers into all of the wrestling that they do um so there have been champions in impact who have like holding championships that typically have not been held by women so it's it's encouraging to see that in the mainstream. And I was curious what your what your take on that of what you had seen.
4: Well, I honestly don't even watch WWE. We don't, <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't for a very long time. I think AEW has intentions in all the right places. I think they're trying. You know, I never, ever, ever thought in my lifetime. You would have a transgender woman wrestler on TV, mm-hmm. like that is just it. My heart expands in my chest just thinking about it. But it's also, I think, you know, they suffer from having too large a roster, trying to get everybody on TV. Trying, it, it's it's just too much. But also, the reality is, you need a large roster because people can't be overworked. People get hurt. It it is what it is. I did not know that Impact was doing all of everything that you're saying. <laughs> I didn't even know.
1: I don't even know where to watch Impact. <laughs> okay, completely fair. <laughs> it changes every, like, 18 months or so. so. I, don't...
4: <laughs> I mean, I need to keep up a little better. It's, it's, a, it's a big time investment. I kind yes. of, just, like, keep up with news more. Yeah, and... The only way I was keeping up with WWE, to be honest, was I was watching Total Divas, which I find fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm like, give me all the drama without the wrestling and put it into like an hour long show. And then that's good for me. Just compact it. So. <laughs>
1: but it's but it is incredible we did an episode last year about total divas and it's like you know lasting impact on on women's wrestling and wrestling in the wwe certainly and like total divas w- marked a huge demographic addition for wwe it, it marked a huge growth in their women viewership to their like wrestling product and not just the reality tv end of it to the point where like how do you recapture that magic for other promotions? So it's like you take a show that like people could sneer at for its drama and it's, you know, reality shows, pseudo scripted shenanigans, but like it did have a, it did have a beneficial effect on the women's division in WWE because the women weren't getting anything. And then after the huge burst of success of total divas, there was a direct Direct correlation in in time and space, given on thing, on shows like Raw and SmackDown. So, yeah, it, it's it, I, I was totally foreign to me, and then watching just a couple of episodes and reading about what happened to the demographics of their fan base after Total Divas became a success. I don't know. I I wouldn't say it's my favorite thing in the world, but I definitely became a convert into the idea that it was that it is important.
4: Yeah, well, it's fascinating, and it's people want to know who you are they want to connect with you as a person and then they cheer for you or they hate you but it makes a huge impact in how people view you and want to view you and to act like that doesn't affect viewership and that doesn't make people want to go from the reality show to the wrestling show it's wild you know And that is also, you know, translates into, you know, with my comic, I'm like, it doesn't need to be about wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. It's about the people and who they are when they're not in the ring, because that is who, what we relate to. And then that's why we want to root for them in the ring, which is essentially what promos are supposed to be, but don't always come across effectively.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think it's safe to say that the women's wrestling that we're seeing today, whether it's an AEW or WWE or Impact, none of that would have existed without Shimmer, really. Yes. And apparently, Shimmer wouldn't have existed without you. So, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for all of this.
4: Ahead. <laughs> thank you. But I, I would like to think I think that probably Prazak would have come up with it eventually because he was he was doing some interesting stuff, you know, on his own. He was definitely championing some some women's wrestling on his own. You know, there were little spurts all around the East Coast of people, you know, having women's wrestling here and there. And there was also uh, Sheldon Goldberg at NECW is the one who got me Sumi Sakai, um, which was a big part of our first shows doing well. So there were were people who were like let's get some serious women's wrestling out there but yet i was i was willing to waste a lot of money on it (laughs) at the time
0: yeah so go buy the gimmick (laughs) number one from ahoy comics now help uh, joanne make some of that money back
4: (laughs) (laughs) yes march 8th at your local comic book store
0: as always you can find us on twitter instagram or patreon at grit glitter pod if you support us on patreon for as little as five dollars per month you get bonus podcasts like women's wrestling entertainment grit glitter and glow you get the grid and glitter archive this past week we made the very first glitter bombs or 2019 award show available for those patrons to listen to This is stuff that was heard in like three years and it still holds up because that's how good we are at our job.
1: (laughs) Yeah, these have been really fun re listens So please consider subscribing to our Patreon. Uh, When you subscribe to the Great Glitter Patreon, you're not just giving me and Harley money to blow at the comic store. You are giving us money to put right back into the wrestling ecosystem. We will be sponsoring the upcoming Enjoy Wrestling show. We are um, sponsoring some great things happening on the West coast with our good friend Bambita. We are, we are sponsoring all around. So when you give us money, we take that money and we give it to other worthy people who are creating the wrestling that you love. It's a win, 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 win. And you get some extra bonus, awesome content to go with it.
0: In the meantime, though, if you're cheap, we got another free episode of Green and glare for you right here <laughs> next week, Tuesday, 6am Eastern, wherever you get your podcast. Next week, oh, my God, it's almost a Valentine's Day. And you know what? This year, I don't have anything planned for Valentine's Day. Histor- historically, it's been a big uh, holiday around here. We talked yeah. to talked to uh, wrestling couples like High Ann and Stephen Wolf, like Veda Scott and Speedball Mike Bailey. Nothing this week. Instead, for our Parks and Recreation fans, it's going to be a special Valentine's Day edition of Grit and Glitter with Glitterati member Val Pancakes Gallant It Up with her friend, broadcaster extraordinaire, and also glitter bomb nominee Val Capone. Two vows, one holiday. The day before <laughs> Valentine's Day. Come on.